Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now... Your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's episode, we are going to be previewing the 2022 Jets draft. And it's going to be super exciting because the Jets have positioned themselves very favorably to either move within this draft and do a bunch of trades, as Joe Douglas is known to do, or just pick where they are and get a lot of good top-end talent. You know, ten, nine picks in the first five rounds, two in the first, two in the second. It's crazy what the Jets have gotten. And the draft class is very exciting. I've spent a lot of time researching, scouting, watching highlights, videos, film, interviews, everything that I can to learn as much about these players as I possibly can. That way, when the Jets call a name on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday next week, I won't be blindsided by who they pick. I'll also be there kind of with my dad clamoring for a specific player. Get this guy. Don't get that guy. We need X. And engaging in all the conversations on Gang Green Nation and Twitter and all that. But on top of that, just kind of like learning the players that are going to be influxed into the NFL and, and make up the new basis of young players within the league. That way, when I watch the Jets play against the Jaguars, I know who their new rookie cornerback is from the fourth round. Spend all this time watching it. So that is what I've been doing over the past uh, month or so, basically since free agency end ended, um, really since the season ended, since the Jets lost their final week. And from there, I just kind of like, put a little bit of energy into it. And the closer and closer we get to the draft, the more I put into it. But again, this is not going to be player-focused. It's going to be more draft-focused. There will be some player talk. Anyways, let's stop talking about it, and let's start getting to it. Before I do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. And from there, we just get right into it. Some stuff has happened with the Jets since the last podcast. The last one was like a month ago following free agency. It was basically everything in free agency up to the Jake Martin signing. So if you want to go back and get refreshed on anything, I mean, sometimes I go back to my own podcast that I recorded just to remember what were the contracts given out, what players, how did I feel at the time when it happened and everything. Um, So that stuff is all there. But since then, the Jets have done a little bit. They signed Solomon Thomas formerly of the Raiders, also of the San Francisco 49ers. So he's familiar with Robert Sala and that defense. This is a guy that was drafted third overall in 2017. So he was supposed to be a big-time defensive tackle, and he didn't really pan out. He's been a good player, had some injury stuff, kind of trended down, wasn't used right probably in the Raiders' scheme, as the Raiders never seem to use players correctly. Um, It's kind of a theme of what they do over there. But the Jets are getting him back on their team, and he's not going to be a starter, but he's going to be a rotational piece, you know, with Quinn and Williams, with Sheldon Rankins, you've got Jonathan Marshall from last year who was drafted in the seventh round, and now you got Solomon Thomas mixed in. So helps a little bit in that position where they lost Foley Fadakasi. Not back as strong as it was then, but at least it's moving a little bit in the right direction. The Jets also cut Ryan Griffin to save like $3 million, and that can help for signing another player or if they want to make a big trade. I know that there was kind of some big stuff going on one day when the Jets were in the market for Tyreek Hill before he was traded to the Dolphins. And that was kind of a, a wild day where it was just like, wow, what is going on? The Jets are about to make this crazy trade. What are they going to give up? What kind of draft assets are they going to have to lose? Tyreek Hill, oh my gosh, is this going to be a huge thing for the offense? Are we going to have to root for this guy who I, you know, I've pretty openly hated Tyreek Hill ever since he had ridiculous uh, problems in college and the things that he did off the field. It's hard to root for that guy, but then you're like, oh my gosh, how much better would he make this team? And there was a whole whirlwind of emotions going on that day. He ends up landing with the division rival Miami Dolphins. So in one respect, it's like, well, that sucks because he's one of the most dynamic, fast, shifty playmakers in the NFL. And now we got to guard him. And that's going to be tricky. He goes to a division rival. It's going to help make the Dolphins better sooner than sooner than later. Right? He's going to be probably an impact player from week one. 
But it also shows us the Jets are interested in getting a top-end wide receiver, a big-time talent to put onto this offense. Joe Douglas is willing to give up assets to get a player like that. I think they were only offering, when they released the the news on the Jets offer, it was like two second-round picks and a little bit more after that. So it wasn't like a first-round pick. But it is Joe Douglas engaging in conversations like, how can we get insane talent onto this team to help the offense, to help Zach Wilson? And I think that's a good sign for the Jets. Tyreek Hill chose the Dolphins allegedly over the Jets, so that's kind of a bummer that he picked them over us, I guess, because the Dolphins are a more favorable destination, probably tax-related. But in the end, we can't be too upset. Can't cry over spilled milk because we still have all the assets in the draft and plenty of opportunities to address those positions. We don't have to go after a $20 million wide receiver who's relying on speed coming up on the age of 30 sooner than later. May end up working out better for us in the long run. We shall see. But it's not uh, not the end of the world. We also signed Greg Zerline, also known as Legatron, also known as Greg the Leg. He was a really big-name kicker for the St. Louis Rams back in the day, maybe even the Los Angeles Rams at one point. But uh, since then, he's kind of moved around the league, kicked pretty badly for the Cowboys last year. It was like 82%, but he missed some kicks at some bad times, wasn't good on extra points. And you think to yourself, all right, he's not a super flashy signing, but he's better than like a Ficken or a Kari Bedvik or a Bertolette or a Ross Martin or a guy that's just never kicked within the league. that The Jets have been bringing into camp basically every year to compete for a starting role. At least he's a real kicker who's been on the field before, and he's going to be competing with another real kicker in Eddie Panero, who kicked for the Bears before coming to the Jets and actually kicked pretty well for us last year, even though the balls weren't necessarily the prettiest things off of his foot. A good season for him. So we're going to have at least a real kicker battle between Greg Zerline and Eddie Panero not to have a top 10 kicker in the league, but to not have a bottom five. Ideally, that's what should be happening here. Lastly, the Jets are meeting with Quan Alexander apparently today. He's a free agent that's uh, coming off a bunch of injuries. This is another player that played in that Robert Sala system in San Francisco, and he's a very fast, good coverage linebacker who was trending up big time, very fast, all over the field type of guy before getting a huge contract and then getting injured and missing a ton of time. And he's really never come back to where he was at the beginning of his career, but he still has a bunch of upside. It's a position that the Jets need some depth. They're playing guys like Blake Cashman, Jamie and Sherwood, Hamza Nazaraldeen, Gerard Davis at linebacker. They really need some more pieces in there. They picked up Quincy Williams off the scrap heap from the Jaguars, who ended up being a good signing and ended up being, you know, a very impactful player for the Jets defense last year. But it really shouldn't have been in that situation where they could pick up a guy off the street, plug in, play as a starter, and not really have great depth behind him. I think that this is going to be a uh, an opportunity. If the Jets can bring him in on a cheap deal, there's definitely a risk. Don't get me wrong. When you bring in a player who's coming off an Achilles, has been super injured over the last couple of years, there's risk for sure. But he's got that upside. He's got that coverage ability. It's a position that the Jets need depth. And some of that risk is minimized by just a good team-friendly contract. So I'm going to look to see if the Jets can offer him something in the ballpark of you know one year, $3 million, maybe $4 million for a one-year deal. That would be great to see. It would give him a chance to potentially pop, and if he doesn't, not that much to lose. So that's kind of the big news from the Jets and kind of the updates are going on since the last podcast. From there, we got to start talking about this year's draft. Super exciting stuff. All right, so first, some draft notes. Coming up next Thursday, April 28th through April 30th, Thursday to Saturday, it's going to be held in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play, that brand-new stadium And it's been a theme since 2015. They've been moving the venue of the draft, kind of like the Super Bowl, and they may end up doing it with the Combine soon as well. Since 1965 through 2014, it was held in New York City every single year. 2007 to 2014, most recently, it was always at Radio City Music Hall, and it was very exciting because the Jets fans are very passionate, and you get all that chanting and all the craziness from that. But since 2014, they've been moving it around. This year's going to be in Las Vegas. Last year was in Cleveland. Next year's actually going to be in Kansas City. Following year in Detroit. So it's going to keep moving around, finding some other teams to host it. Which is kind of exciting because each team has its own flair and, and you know, celebrities that come out or fan base style. All sorts of different things uh, that can happen like this. It's just kind of a bummer because it was a New York thing. We don't have it anymore. Anyways, it's all good. It's going to be available to watch on NFL Network, ESPN, ABC, ESPN Deportes, and all you're changing is the people that are doing the analysis between the picks. It's still going to be Roger Goodell calling it and reading the cards. It's just going to be, if you're on ESPN, it's going to be Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. If you're on NFL Network, it's going to be probably Rich Eisen, 
Daniel Jeremiah, Lance Zerline, Bucky Bricks, a combination of those guys. And then if you're on ABC, it's going to be who the heck knows. I don't know anybody that watches that broadcast, but it's available. I recommend ESPN Deportes only if you speak Spanish fluently. Otherwise, it gets kind of confusing. So it's going to be the first round on Thursday, April 28th, starting at 8 p.m. On Friday, the following day, rounds 2 and 3, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then Saturday, starting at noon, is going to be rounds 4 through 7. So that's kind of the bulk, but the least fanfare and everything involved. It's going to be more like pick-related. And sometimes they don't even cover all the picks. There's commercials between them. So the Saturday thing is still super important because the Jets get some steals. You know, some Michael Carters, some Michael Carter 2s, Brandon Eccles. All sorts of good players still to be found there. It's just not the same type of coverage as you get on Thursday and Friday. So those are going to be the fun ones. But uh, the Jets have a ton of draft capital in this one. They got nine picks in the draft. And going through them real quick, in the first round, the Jets have pick number four, their own, and pick number 10, they got from the Seahawks in the Jamal Adams trade. Then you go to round two, they get pick 35, and they have pick 38 from the Panthers for the Sam Darnold trade. In round three, they have their own pick 69. Round four pick... In round four, they have the Panthers pick for Sam Darnold in that trade. Then they have the number 117 pick that they got from the Vikings for the Chris Herndon trade. Then in round five, they have pick number 146, their own, and pick number 163 that they got for Avery Williamson going to the Steelers. So that's nine picks in the first five rounds. And when you look at that, seven of those nine picks are in the top 10 of their round. So when you're looking at, you know, round one, they have two picks in the top 10. When you're looking at round two, you're talking about pick, I think it's three and Six of the second round. So that's essentially, you know, you kind of get some carryover of talent. So some first-round talents on a board will be available in the second round. The Jets are going to be able to get some, you know, quote-unquote first-round talents in the second round, some quote-unquote second-round talent in the third, and so on and so forth throughout the draft. So it's going to be a little bit better than it even looks on paper. The numbers 4, 10, 35, 38, 69, 111, 117, 146, and 163. When you look at that, there's nothing in the 200s, nothing higher than 163, and there's nine picks there. So it's really great. I'm sure that Joe Douglas is going to move all around the draft board, as he always does. Great manipulation of the draft board, a great understanding of it, when he can pop back, when he can move up, what he can trade in future years or get in future years. He's going to be very active. Who knows, there may even be a couple players that are on the move. You never know, but I expect Joe Douglas to at least be exploring every avenue. Now, the Jets do not have any compensatory picks in this draft, so everything is either their own or something that they traded for. These nine picks are estimated to be about $18.8 million in rookie deals. You're talking about the number four overall pick. That guy's going to get like a $6.7 million cap hit. The number 10 overall pick, $4.1 million cap hit. Then you've got, in the second round, pick 35 and 38, both $1.7 million cap hits. The third round pick, number 69, is a $1 million hit. And then picks 111, 117, 146, 163, rounds four through five for the Jets, are between $900,000 and $790,000. So those guys are not getting paid very much at all. And when you look at it, like the 10th overall pick is going to make $4.1 million, which is kind of substantial. I mean, I just kind of gave that number as a possibility for Quan Alexander, who's a dart throw at linebacker, potentially has some upside, but obviously is a risk. And that's the type of money that you'd be giving a guy like that. And now you're potentially getting the number 10 overall player in the draft to be playing for that contract, not only for one year, but for four. Um, actually, your first round pick, you get four years and a team option in the fifth year. So both the first overall pick or the fourth overall pick for the Jets and the 10th overall pick will have those team options in year five if the Jets want them. The rest of the players will have four-year or three-year contracts depending on how the Jets uh, hand them out, but great value there. And really, really cheap talent. This is the way that you want to build your team is through the draft. You want to get your foundation set of your cheap players that you have under contract for three, four, five years, and then fill in the gaps from there. It makes it a lot easier. So the question becomes, how do the Jets approach this draft, right? What should be their focus? And how can they kind of come out of this thing with as much success as possible? Right? It's very, very important to hit on the draft. Good teams are built through the draft. And Yes, it all comes down to Zach Wilson ultimately because there's not one single individual that you can point to other than Joe Douglas that has more impact on the entire team than Zach Wilson. That said, if you have a great team built around a quarterback, you can truly evaluate them and figure out whether or not a guy like Zach Wilson's good. You don't sit there saying, well, if he had more weapons or if we had an offensive line or a running game or yada yada, so we never could really evaluate. No, you put a good team around them so that you can truly evaluate them. And then from there, if you decide that the player isn't very good and isn't the right fit for your team, 
you have the ability to bring in a free agent or a rookie or a combination of the two and plug them into a situation where they can start to succeed. A situation like Denver being able to bring over a Russell Wilson and say, we're going to go for the division this year and try to win potentially a Super Bowl by just adding one piece in free agency. You become a more desirable location for free agents. You become an area that people actually want to play. And it just overall is a better model of having a good team building through the draft. I think everybody would agree on that. And the Jets had not a great draft Joe Douglas' first year. There was definitely some confusion between the coaching staff with Adam Gase what Joe Douglas's plan was, he was still getting familiar with it, and there were some flops in that one for sure. But when you look at last year's draft, very, very good, a very strong class, one of the best we've seen from the Jets in a long time. We have the ammo to do the exact same thing this year, and if the Jets can string together two very strong drafts in a row, they will guaranteed, regardless of Zach Wilson, be in a very, very good place moving forward. Even if they ultimately decide that Zach Wilson is not the answer, he doesn't have what it takes to lead this team, we will be in a spot where we can add a guy very quickly, very easily, and get to that spot. So I'm excited about what the Jets can do. But you look at this thing, and the first thought is, okay, what do the Jets actually need positionally? And there's nine positions that I have listed as positions of need. We don't need kicker. We don't need punter. We don't need quarterback right now because we got two backups in Mike White and Joe Flacco. So we're focusing on these other ones. And I kind of ranked them. This is a very loose ranking as... It all depends on the player that you get and how the players that we have on the roster right now end up playing. We've got guys like, you know, I have safety as the number one need. But you never know. Ashton Davis could have a breakout year, and all of a sudden safety is not a huge need. But today, just looking at it based off of my own valuation of how the team is stacked up on paper, number one need being safety. You add in Whitehead, who's going to be a very, very nice safety. Come up and play in the box. Got some good grit. Played on a big-time team in Tampa Bay. Super Bowl, all that good stuff. But aside him, you've got either an Ashton Davis who hasn't really shown us any sort of consistency to where we feel confident playing him on the back end in like a single deep or a two deep defense. You don't trust him entirely. And then you got next to him, it could be LaMarcus Joyner who hasn't really played safety in like five years because he was playing nickel cornerback for the Raiders before coming to the Jets and then getting hurt on the ninth play of the season, tearing his triceps out for the year. He comes back over age 30. You don't have a lot there. He's a good veteran, definitely a good training camp body, and maybe a good bench guy, but not a guy that you want to necessarily throw out there on the field based off of what expectations should be. Then you've got a bunch of guys like Kai Nakua or Will Parks, or maybe you bring back like an Elijah Riley or something that these were smaller name guys that were playing on the back end of last year because we had very minimal safety help, and it becomes the number one need for the Jets. I think right away you look for a free safety type of build that can go next to Jordan Whitehead, and play in that deep coverage, take off half the field, take the top of the defense off. Jordan Whitehead's not the fastest safety in the world, and we are going to be going up against guys like Josh Allen with a cannon arm. We got Tyreek Hill in the division now. So it's very important to make sure that those deep throws don't hurt us. Marcus May was always very good at preventing the deep throw, but it's easier said than done, and I think that we kind of took Marcus May for granted in that respect because he was good at preventing the long ball, and when he was on the field, there weren't a ton of deep throws that were completed. He really was something special when it came to that thing. Um, You just kind of forget what it was like before him. But this year, the Jets should be addressing safety at some point. I don't think that uh, you necessarily need to go for the number one need right away. But at some point through free agency or the draft, they do need to add a safety in. My number two need, I've got wide receiver. And they do have a few really good weapons. Corey Davis, I'm very high on still as a number 1A, 1B type of receiver. Elijah Moore... I love him as a great compliment to Corey Davis. I love the fact that he can move shifty. He can take the ball in the backfield. He's a yards after the catch guy. He's a good team player, fast, plays big, all that good stuff. He's going to be a perfect compliment to Corey Davis. But still, when you look at like those outside guys or those two big guys, you need another one. You're still losing Keelan Cole. You're losing Jamison Crowder, who are two real veterans. You retain Braxton Berrios, who's going to be a great slot guy and a good scrappy player that can do some, you know, jack-of-all-trades utility stuff. Denzel Mims, we're still waiting for him. But we're so close to, like, one big injury affecting this entire receiving corp and being right back to throwing a Jeff Smith or Lawrence Cager or something out there and just being like, well, we got to throw this game away because Zach Wilson has nobody getting open. We can't be in that position. The Jets need to cultivate the system here and make sure that they've got guys moving forward. Plus, ideally, you'd be running a Corey Davis with Elijah Moore 
and maybe one more elite wide receiver on the field, whether you play slot or you slide Elijah Moore into the slot. And then Braxton Barrios would be like that fourth, fifth option that can come in and do a little bit of everything. As much as I love Braxton Barrios, I don't want him on the field 100% of the plays. It's got to be another guy in there too, and then you got to be able to handle injuries. Too important of a position. If you weren't sure how important wide receiver is and is valued by the league, just take a look at the contracts that have been given out recently to guys like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs. These contracts are enormous. Well over $20 million. Even Christian Kirk got like $20 million a year, which is absurd. But the contracts are there because the value is there. You look at those contracts and you say to yourself, you don't want to be hitting the free agent market trying to find the number one guy, number two guy in a, in a free agent class because you're going to be paying a guy like Christian Kirk way too much. The best thing that you can do, like an edge rusher, is draft them. Like a tackle, is draft them. So wide receivers become one of those positions. Due to the Jets' lack of depth, it becomes the number two need for this team. Now, before we move on to the next section of the podcast, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. Section of the podcast where I talk about the beer that I am drinking while recording. And today, something that I've done on this podcast before, but it's okay. I'll do it twice because it's so nice. New England Brewing Company's Fuzzy Baby Ducks. That is right. Fuzzy Baby Ducks by Nebco. An India Pale Ale, 6.2 ounce, 6.2% alcohol by volume, brewed right here in Connecticut in Woodbridge. A wonderful can of a unicorn pooping a rainbow with these baby ducks that are sliding down it and a bunch of hearts and beautiful clouds. It's a lot of fun. People like to get this can, like to see this can, but they also like to drink this beer because it is tasty. It's a little bit darker um, of a IPA, not super like hazy and juicy. It's more, if you're familiar with Nebco's Sea Hag, it is similar to that, kind of from that family. Um, but it is a treat. It's a little bit rare. So when I see it in the package store, I almost always grab it. Sometimes you have to go to the package, uh, to the uh, brewery itself to get it. But uh, it's a single hop beer brewed with 100% Citra hops. And I'm a big Citra hops guy. So if you like that, you may enjoy this one. Yeah, it says drink it. It's good. And they ain't lying. The other nice thing about it, like, and the Sea Hags as well, and G-Bots and the other stuff they make, is they make 12-ounce cans. And at one point, I was all into the Tall Boys. A 16-ouncer of a nice 7% beer. I was like, oh my gosh, finally. It's like drinking a bottle of vodka, drinking a couple beers. But then I realized I don't necessarily want that because I'm 30 years old now. I got work tomorrow. I worked a long day today. I got a big podcast to do. I can't just be opening an entire meal in a can every single time I want to have a beer. So when I can find these nice India Pale Ales that are on the lighter end at 6.2% and are in a smaller can like this, I can control just how much I drink. I can control if I want to have, you know, two six-packs. Sure, go for it. doesn't matter. Fall asleep, wake up tomorrow, all good. Or if I just want to have one, a little bit of a buzz, go on with my day like it never happened, no problem. Now, before we get back to the podcast, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Number three, I have interior defensive line. We lost Foley Fadakasi on what was already not a great defensive line. We weren't good against the run last year. Quinn Williams is a good player for sure. Sheldon Rankins left a lot to be desired. And then behind him, you get guys like Solomon Thomas, who's trying to become a journeyman in this league and, and stay for the long term. You got, you know, a, a Nathan Shepard who may be playing way more than we want. Maybe you move a John Franklin Myers inside on some plays or Jonathan Marshall, the seventh round pick from last year. It's not a great situation, and they weren't good against the run last year. So you do have to find an interior defensive lineman that can help anchor the defensive line with Quinnen. Plus, Quinnen Williams doesn't play 80% of snaps. He plays like 50 to 70, so you have to have a rotation there. Interior defensive line, very, very important. Number four, I put edge. Edge is an interesting one because we had a horrible pass rush last year, but we didn't have our best defensive player, who it should be, is Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson was injured before the season began, and he was supposed to be our pass rush extraordinaire. Now, he's coming back, and on the other side, you've got a John Franklin Myers, who just got that big $12 million contract. you got two good players there. If Carl Lawson's back to full strength... If he plays all season long, if John Franklin Myers is ascending still and fully healthy all year, and you mix in a guy like Jacob Martin, who we picked up from the Texans to help be a pass rusher, mixed with like a Bryce Huff from last year, it's possible the pass rush could be good where it is today. But if Carl Lawson isn't there, or John Franklin Myers has to move inside to help stop the run, or some of the other players get injured, that's going to be a very 
very weak position yet again. We'll have trouble getting after the quarterback, and our zone defense will continue to get sliced apart as it was last year. If we have depth there, we can do a rotation as Robert Sala clearly wants to do. But on top of that, we can start getting after the, the passer much, much faster and make it easier on these cornerbacks and these defensive backs. It's going to be huge for the Jets if they can get a good edge rush, good pressure this year. Carl Lawson won, but still nice to get a youthful player in the draft. Offensive tackle I have is need number five. And there's a little bit of debate here on whether or not the Jets really need to address offensive tackle. On one hand, I see the argument that you have Mekhi Becton, who you invested in 11th overall pick two years ago in. He should absolutely be ready to play this year. He's been injured for like a full calendar year. He should be rehabbed and ready to go. And then on the other side, you got George Fant, who played really, really good last year. So you got two guys that you could go to war with. The problem is right behind that, you've got Chuma Adoga and Connor McDermott. Two tackles that you don't want to ever play tackle for your team unless it's an absolute emergency, right? That's what those guys are there for, but not to start. Makai Becton is one injury away, or maybe not even, maybe he's already injured enough where he won't be ready for week one. You have to be a little bit nervous about his availability for 17 games. I think it would be exciting to see him play 11 or 12 games next year. 17 would be a lot to ask from him. George Fant on the other side, that would be your one starter if Makai goes down. And he's not, a, he's not under contract the following year. This is his last year on his deal. He'll be over 30. Whether or not the Jets actually want to retain him for another year, there are a lot of question marks. Now, you could say we could get by with this. Why go after an offensive tackle with a premium pick? Because one, you got to look towards the future. And two, Joe Douglas has made it very, very clear to us that the offensive line is his utmost concern. The defensive line and up offensive line are where he's been investing his draft capital, his contracts, Every single year, right? First round, Elijah Vera Tucker last year. The year before, first round, Mekhi Becton. You can see him going after guys like Lakin Tomlinson, Connor McGovern. It's very important to him to have an offensive line. And the Jets, it's way too fragile right now. It's way too close to blowing up. And I can't see him just going into a season saying, hey, if Mekhi Becton gets hurt for a single game, we're just going to play Connor McDermott and potentially get Zach Wilson killed out there and ruin the season. I can't see that happening. I see the tackle as a big need. Number six, I got linebacker, and the Jets met with Quan Alexander, but they have not signed him yet, so we'll see whether or not uh, they actually do need to go after a linebacker, but when you look at it, the Jets need to stop the run better. I liked Quincy Williams, I liked C.J. Mosley, but I'm not sure how viable they are as long-term options. This could be C.J.'s last year with the team. He could be trending down. This could be his worst year with the Jets yet. Quincy Williams, he was trending up, but he still has a bunch of rawness in his game. He's not a super polished player. In this Jets defense, we have to be able to stop the run. These offense, these linebackers have a huge role in this defense, the way you've got four guys up on the defensive line. Everyone's basically picking up a block. You've got to have that linebacker fill the hole, fill it hard, stop the run. It's a big position. We lost a guy like Blake Cashman. Gerard Davis is gone. Some of these guys you could kind of characterize as an edge, kind of a linebacker, outside linebacker. I'm just calling them all linebackers. We need bodies in there, guys that can play. Last year, the Jets went after that position by drafting safeties and trying to convert them into linebackers. That would be Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasraldine. It didn't work last year. They were looking for that versatile guy who could be really, really quick inside and fill the hole and hit hard. But unfortunately, both of those players kind of left us wondering, like, why did we draft them? We're hoping for a better year in year two. But we need some more depth on that team that we could see, all right, the linebackers are going to be good if anything happens to CJ or Quincy. And moving forward, when those guys are gone off the team potentially... We got somebody there. My seventh biggest need for the Jets, running back. Michael Carter is absolutely the best running back on this team and is definitely a guy that you want to give a plenty plenty of carries to because he's very, very good. He's got great balance, great hands, great explosiveness, and he's definitely a future star for this Jets offense. Behind him, however, you've got Ty Johnson, Austin Walter, LaMichael Pirine, and Tevin Coleman. I think Tevin Coleman's a good player, but he can't be trusted with injuries, and we don't know how much he's going to have left in the tank at the age he's at. Ty Johnson was trending up going into last year, but then this year he had some good games. He had some horrible drops, some bad missed blocks. He left us kind of like, all right, maybe he's not the long-term answer. He was an okay Band-Aid type of player, really, really cheap at the time. But if they just want to take it to the next level, it's not going to be a LaMichael Pirine or an Austin Walter. It's going to be a complimentary back to Michael Carter, where if they're both healthy, you can go back and forth between two guys and really terrorize a team. Now, we run a zone offense with a zone-wide zone scheme, so a lot of times the handoffs are going to be very, very patient, wait for the hole, get outside, and then cut up field. Maybe one cut, one jump, and then go. Michael Carter's great at that. 
We need another guy that can do that. And potentially also a short yardage guy when you're in third and one, third and goal, fourth and goal, any of those situations where Michael Carter isn't necessarily the best option. You don't want to be using an Austin Walter, a Ty Johnson. You know, Tevin Coleman maybe could handle some of those duties, but his health is a question mark every year. So I think it's important to get another running back in there, a complimentary piece. I'm not talking about replacing Michael Carter. I'm talking about cutting the amount of carries that he has to take in half or, you know, taking a third off of it, giving it to another guy, extending both of their, their careers, and making it easier on Zach Wilson to throw, to throw out a play action. I think it could be a great offense that could really be strong with the run. Now that we got these two tight ends, Tyler Conklin, C.J. Uzoma, good blocking tight ends who are big bodies, Zach Wilson getting more comfortable, the offensive line coming in with Lakin Tomlinson there, Elijah Vera Tucker, hopefully Mekhi back. I mean, this could be a very, very good rushing offense. I just don't want to see it fail because we're playing an Austin Walter or Michael Pirine, right? I want to see another young stud like Michael Carter in there. Number eight, I've got cornerback. And this one's an interesting one because... There are people that think the cornerback group is the best group on the Jets roster right now. There are other people that think it has a lot of work to do. I think when you look across the board at the players the Jets have at cornerback, you're looking at the outside guys, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, and now DJ Reed. All three of them I see as number two cornerbacks in a perfect defense, right? Bryce Hall, he's probably the best one, the most polished of the team that we've seen play for us. Brandon Eccles is the guy that's got all the upside, and DJ Reed is the big signing. I'm not completely sold on any one of them. I know DJ Reed got that big $33 million contract, but it's only one year guaranteed, so essentially he'll make $11 million this year, and if the Jets want to move on, they certainly can. Now that's three decent options there, but we saw these guys get beat up last year. We saw how difficult it was for the Jets to stop people. We need some elite talent back there. We need some guys who can make big plays, big interceptions, shut a guy down, play cornerback at a higher level than we've seen with the Jets since a guy like Darrell Rivas. We need to get another guy like that out there. Cornerbacks are so important in this league. I know people like to talk about the pass rush versus the cornerback. They're both super, super important. And I like what the Jets have right now, but I want to see that group get a little bit better. I do like what we have in the slot. We have Michael Carter, too, who was good last year, trending up for sure, and then potentially Javelin Gidry could be the backup slot guy. So you've got some pieces there. I just want to see another outside guy brought in that can kind of shore up that room and give us a little bit of depth moving forward and can help us focus on a little bit more development of that position group for the future. And then lastly, I have interior offensive line. And my biggest reasoning is I don't love the depth the Jets have there. They've got Greg Van Roten as a backup guard who can probably play both sides, but, you know, he's probably going to be replaced sooner than later. And offensive injuries happen a lot. Offensive line guys go down, and you don't want to have a weakness there. I want to have a young guy that we can develop having the interior offensive line. If Connor McGovern ends up moving on, if Greg Van Roten isn't the backup of the future, another guy, you know, we always have an Alex Lewis or an LDT or whomever, a Dan Feeney, you know, he's still on the team, but Dan Feeney was playing snaps last year and you want a better player than him playing. You want a better player than LDT playing, a better player than Greg Van Roten playing. I think the Jets can develop them. Good guards can be found later in the draft. Good centers can be found later in the draft. They don't have to be drafted top 15 so the Jets can potentially get a good player, start developing, and keep that offensive line moving forward. I know that we're in a good place with the O-line, but the last thing you want to do is become complacent, stop developing young pieces, and all of a sudden find yourself in a place where it's like, oh, shoot, we got to go pay somebody on the offensive line or try to go draft somebody and plug them in right away. I don't see Joe Douglas taking that approach. I see him making sure that everything is set for the future. So that's what my nine needs are for the Jets. Safety, wide receiver, interior defensive line, edge rusher, offensive tackle, linebacker, running back, cornerback, interior offensive line, in that order. So now the big debate comes in, how do you factor in need versus talent? Need The Jets need those players, right? Safety, wide receiver, interior defensive line. You could find guys to start week one. Very, very important. At the same time, do you really want to reach for a player was a position of need if they're not the best player on the board? Would you rather have a B-minus player in the long run or a C-plus player at a position of need and have them be your starter? Or would you rather find a guy at a position that you already have plenty of that's going to be an A or an A-plus Pro Bowl-level player? To me, we definitely need to make sure that we don't have huge gaps in this team if we want to compete at a high level. At the same time, we need to get elite talent in here as soon as possible, and I think that that is the most important thing. 
getting elite talent on the team. A pro bowler, an all-pro, a future Hall of Famer, difference makers. Guys that when you look at a team that's ascending, up and coming, you look at a team, let's just do an example of the Las Vegas Raiders. You look at the Raiders, right away you see Darren Waller, elite player, Max Crosby, Devontae Adams, elite players. Three of them right there, that's like the identity of their team. You look at the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, it was Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, right, like, that was the identity of their team. Now, we don't know what it's going to be this year. Obviously, they replaced Tyreek Hill with Juju Smith-Schuster and some other options. But when you look at a guy, each team has an identity that's built through elite players. And the Jets don't have any of them, really. You look at the Jets, and you're like, I guess they're, uh, I don't know, Zach Wilson and Michael Carter and Braxton Berrios? I mean, there's not much to scare another team. There's not much to throw a wrench in a game plan when you're going against the Jets. And I think talent is the most important thing right now. That said... There are nine needs that we have right here, some of them more important than others. We do need to address those in some respect because we didn't in free agency, and they are lingering, and the last thing you want is to go into the season with a really bad safety and wide receiver room after a couple injuries and be sitting there like, well, we knew this all along. Wish we'd focused on it. So need versus talent, an interesting conversation, but as long as the Jets are bringing in good elite players, I will be happy. So now, before we continue, we do need to give my dad the floor we got to see what Dave Burnham is thinking today about the draft because he's doing as much research as I am. He's all over gangreennation.com. He's posting, getting in arguments with people on the boards. He's got, he emails me and texts me all throughout the day, things, players that he's looking at, who he thinks the Jets should take, shouldn't take. And I say, can you write a father time for this thing, kind of giving your thoughts on the draft? He doesn't want to say anything about players because kind of like what I was talking about earlier, he doesn't want to waste energy talking about a player that's not going to become a Jet. And he's got so many different opinions and different shades of gray and different avenues the Jets can go. He doesn't want to get caught in the weeds talking about a whole bunch of nonsense. Instead, he's talking about more draft theory, which I said, hey, that's going to work perfect for this. So this is my dad's father time for this week, written by David Burnham. Here we go. Everyone has an opinion on what the Jets need to do to move closer to winning consistent football games. Yes, we need a receiver, a free safety, a defensive tackle, and a linebacker and even another corner. I have my favorites, and you have yours, and we'll likely add most of them. But I can condense this draft down to two themes, two issues that must be addressed, two goals of this 2022 NFL draft. General Joe Douglas needs to be sure to, number one, help Zach succeed. This draft and offseason is all about Zach Wilson. JD needs to acquire more of the weapons and provide O-line protection that'll aid Zach in putting points on the board. Just make Zach's job as easy as possible. Hall of Fame quarterbacks are hard to find, but surrounding Zach with a dominant O-line and potent skill players will vastly improve his play and give him a chance to show that he actually is a number two overall pick. Expect JD to add a young pass catcher to finish the receiver room for the season early and provide second-round depth at tackle to bolster the O-line and secure it for the future. Second, GM Joe Douglas needs to stop the run. The Jets will never win games without run defense. Last year, a Jet opponent with a lead could start to run the clock out by running the ball right after the halftime band stopped playing. You won't win many games that way. Addressing the run defense is critical and will ultimately give Zach more chances to compete in the fourth quarter. Stop the run. This is Jets football. So, the Jets' pass defense was pretty good last year and has gotten much better with the addition of Whitehead and Reed. And the Jets' running game was very good last year and will be much improved with the additions of Lake and Tomlinson and our new exciting tight ends. So on draft day... April 28th through April 30th, we need to keep thinking these two thoughts. Help Zach and stop the run. In JD we trust. Go Jets. End scene. Wow. Okay. Lots to unpack here as my dad has given his theory on the Jets. Not giving specific names of anybody he wants us to take, but saying he's got two things that he wants to do. And I agree with him because when it comes down to it, we could rattle off names and this guy's the right guy and he's the wrong and he's the odd. We don't know. These players are playing in college. They're playing in schemes and systems that they were told to play in, whether or not it is the right thing for their actual physical makeup and their body type and what they can do. It's all such a crapshoot. But what the Jets do need to do is make it easier on the quarterback. They need to make Zach Wilson's job as easy as possible and give him the chance. I think that when you think about Zach Wilson, it's like, yeah, the ceiling for him would be something like what Patrick Mahomes can do, right? Like what an Aaron Rodgers can do on the field. That would be the ceiling, and we would love to see that. But what about saying something like the floor for him could be something like Ryan Tannehill 
where he hands the ball off. He plays in an offense that kind of is built around him. Don't make mistakes. Run the ball when it's open. Pick up the third downs when you have to. Get a little bit creative within the offense. The things the Titans have done to be successful for the last few years with Ryan Tannehill. And I see that as a very realistic scenario for Zach Wilson. Maybe he never makes it to that Patrick Mahomes level, but maybe he gets it to a Ryan Tannehill, a top 15 quarterback in the league. And that's really built through the team around him. So give him the ability to do that. It's going to help the Jets immensely. It'll make football more fun for us fans, and it'll give us a lot less excuses when it comes time to thinking about what we're going to do with his contract or trying to replace him at that position. Then stop the run. I think my dad is right. I think stopping the run is super important. The Jets were horrible at stopping the run last year. Um, the numbers are definitely definitely there because the Jets were never winning games. When you lose that often, teams will try to run the clock out late, so the numbers kind of get exaggerated a little bit. I think when it comes down to it, stopping the run is super important to me. I think a linebacker in there that can help shut it down, you know, a defensive tackle that can help anchor it and shut it down is big, but I think pass rush is just as important because – I know he says the pass defense was pretty good last year, but I can remember some drives and some games where that zone defense was getting sliced to pieces. And if they had a pass rush or the ability to get after the quarterback or an elite defensive back, a guy who's elite at catching the football or forcing turnovers, things like that, it would have changed the defense immensely as well, even if they didn't focus on the running portion of it. So I think just improving the defense overall from all aspects, whatever they can do, be it stopping the pass, forcing turnovers, getting after the quarterback, stopping the run, if they can make it better, it's going to become easier. And they can funnel things in a specific direction if they're so successful at stopping the pass and they can force teams to run. Then they can kind of funnel things in to help play against the run a little bit more, give a little bit more help in those positions if they're elite on the back end. So one way or another, very important. Critical to help the defense. Critical to help Zach Wilson. I appreciate the father time, Dad. I wish I wish he gave us the names of the players that he's looking at because he is... He's very keen on some guys, and he is not so keen on some other guys. And it can be a real hoot to listen to hear to listen to him talk about why. Because when I uh, go against him and I say, you know what, I think that player is actually really good. To hear his passion, it is something to behold, folks. So that is this week's Father Time. And now, before we continue with Draft Talk, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to continue talking about draft theory for the New York Jets and what the Jets need to do within the 2022 draft to be successful. And my dad just said it in his father time, Zach Wilson's development. We do need to focus on that first and foremost, absolutely. That is going to be what makes the team good for the future. That's going to be what allows us to evaluate the position. And it's just the most critical thing that we can do right now. So, of course, that is the focus. But when you think about it from like a Joe Douglas and a coaching staff perspective, you start to wonder, where is the job security? What level of confidence does Joe Douglas have that he can have another four or five win season and have his job next year? Does he feel like four wins would get him fired? Or does he feel like he's going to have to win more games than that to keep his job? Personally, I think if he hits in the draft, if they have bad luck and the schedule is hard and the AFC is dominant, but he hits in the draft and players are playing well, maybe albeit everybody except for Zach Wilson, I think Joe Douglas should stay because I like what he's doing. Whether he wins four games or not, I still think he's doing stuff the right way, and the draft is the most important thing. He's doing very well with contracts, and he's building the team the right way. It's just not going super fast. It's not the fastest approach in the world, but you can see it happening right. And also, Robert Sala on the other side, like if the Jets win four games, do they consider trying to move away from him? You see the NFL, the theme is moving away from GMs, moving away from coaches faster than ever. And I think Robert Sala just needs a chance to play. He should be safe this year. He's like my favorite coach the Jets have ever had, probably. I love the way he coaches. I love the way he talks in interviews. I like the way he treats his players. The things that he's passionate about, I'm passionate about. I love everything about Robert Sala, and I wish that... I just hope the Jets start winning games, honestly, so that it makes him safe, so that it makes Joe Douglas safe, so that everything just works out. But you do have to wonder whether or not these guys are thinking it's more important to build for the future and let's kind of sacrifice some stuff this year because 2023, we can absolutely crush it. Or are they thinking, like, we got to win some games right now. We're willing to mortgage a little bit of the future and sacrifice some stuff to try to win right now and save these jobs, which you see teams do all the time, frankly. They're just like, i got to get something done. i got to win now so I can keep my job. And they make bad decisions on the team's behalf. I don't want the Jets to do that. I think that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But 
in my ex- my expectation, I think if the Jets win less than four games this year, Joe Douglas probably will be considered for a firing. And if you fire him, Robert Sala would potentially go with him because it's weird to hire a new GM without finding a new coach as well. We've done that before, and it can be a mess. So, I don't know. Let's just make sure we win some games. Am I right? The next thing you're looking at when you're talking about the draft this year is the Jets' culture because we've seen that as a theme for Joe Douglas Every single year that he's drafted for us, he's trying to build the best culture in sports. Said it time and time again. And you see him drafting academic standouts, team captains, leaders, and as Robert Sala always says, lovers of football. Not guys that like football, guys that love football, eat and breathe football. These are the types of players that Jets want to bring in. So when you're looking at guys throughout it, you're not going to find a lot of guys that are me players, really flashy guys, even if they have all the talent in the world. If they're flashy and me, they don't put the work in, they don't have a glowing recommendation from the coach on their academics, their leadership, or their ability to just try hard every single day, they may not be a guy for us. So looking for that Jets culture. Another thing that we're looking at is the Senior Bowl because the Senior Bowl was an opportunity for Ron Middleton, Jets tight end coach, and some of the other guys in the Jets staff to coach college players that are seniors and see what they're all about, get the inside look on how they play, how they train, how they practice, how they lead, all that good stuff, and inside look, absolutely. There is a positive correlation between coaches coaching the Senior Bowl team and then drafting players that were on that team. It's not a huge percentage, but it is a higher percentage of players being drafted by those teams because they got an inside look at these guys and they got to meet them firsthand a little bit more than some other guys. So they're like a little, you know, this guy I know for sure, right? You may have some question marks about a guy you've never truly met or seen work, but maybe some of those questions are answered when you see him at the Senior Bowl and you're like, boom, now I know. I thought he was good. I know he's good now. So some of the players to know, I'm just going to read some names off really quick. This is going to be ridiculous, but some big names that are big prospects or guys that the Jets are looking at in this draft that were on Ron Middleton's team in the Senior Bowl and the Jets could definitely be looking at. Kobe Bryant, Jalen Petre, Majai Sanders, Travis Jones, Boye Mafe, Haskell Garrett, Perion Winfrey, Arnold Ebikidi, Chad Muma, Brian Asamoah, Zion Johnson, Bernard Raymond, Daniel Falele, Trevor Penning, Jerome Ford, Tyler Batty, Trey McBride, Jeremy Rucker, Jake Ferguson, Khalil Shakir, Alec Pierce, Christian Watson, and Bo Melton. Yeah, that is why I don't focus on player names throughout these uh, these podcasts, because who just retained any of that that I said? I hardly even, I just blacked out for that entire thing. But all those guys are prospects in this draft that are considered to be draftable by the Jets, and they all played for Ron Middleton in his win in that big game, and so they definitely have a slight advantage over other players. So if you see them on that list, just be thinking like, all right, it's possible they could be drafted. So those are kind of like my thoughts on how the Jets should approach this draft. You know, need versus talent, positions, the type of guys they're going for, how they got to know them and all that. Um, They also got to do some pre-draft interviews or visits with these players, you get 30 players per team, get to come to your facility, meet with your team, and you get like an inside, you know, one-on-one with this guy. You can only do it with 30 players, but the Jets have used a bunch of those actually so far. And of the players they've met with, here's another list of players that we could be thinking about. Um, The Jets have met with Aiden Hutchinson, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Trayvon Walker, Ika McQuanu, Jermaine Johnson, Derek Stingley, Ahmad Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, Perion Winfrey, Evan Neal, Devontae Wyatt, Traylon Burks, Isaiah Likely, and Tysir Mack. So you see a lot of wide receivers on there, a lot of edge rushers, and these are a lot of players that are projected to go in the first round, but there's definitely some late, you know, day two, day three prospects as well in there. And uh, that's about, I don't know, 15 or so guys out of the Jets 30. They're going to be meeting with some more, but these guys also got more ability to have one-on-one time with the Jets and actually, you know, plead their case on why they should be drafted by the New York Jets. So those are some more players that the Jets could be looking at. Now, when you talk about players, I'm going to talk about this a little bit, um, guys that I'm looking at. The first thought that everybody wants to know is, what do you want to do at picks number four and picks number 10? And Everybody has their opinions on what should be done at picks four and 10. And I'm going to say it again. I don't really care what position it is as long as the guy is elite. You may not like going after an edge rusher, or you may think drafting an offensive tackle is ridiculous. But if Ike Mekwanu is a future Hall of Famer, he is way, way better than drafting a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau if he's only going to end up being a B-minus player. A Hall of Fame player, regardless of the, whether you have the position or not or need it or not, is always valuable. There is value in good players. Even if you have three great quarterbacks who are all future Hall of Famers, 
they're still worth something because you can trade them to other teams. They still carry value and you can get assets back for them. When you have a bad player or a player who's not good, even if it's a position of need, it doesn't help you at all because now you got a bad player and he's worth nothing. So talent is always the most important thing. But what do I want to do it for? My number one choice, honestly, Aiden Hutchinson would be my first choice because I think that he's the best motor and a great pass rusher and the only pass rusher that I really trust in this draft. Like, big-time confidence. The next player that I have big-time confidence that'll be an elite player is Sauce Gardner, and he'd probably be my second choice overall for that pick. Now, a lot of people don't want to get cornerback. We already have guys. Yeah, I get it. I know. Elite players are great. It's all there is to it. I'd so much rather have another cornerback who's that freaking good, gave up 115 yards in a whole season of college football and no touchdowns. This guy was ridiculously good, a competitor. He's got, like, this humble swagger with a big ego. It's like this great combination of stuff that you just know he's going to flourish in the NFL. He's, he's like, my most realistic ideal choice at that spot. I know that it's not the position of need. That's not why I want him. It's because I have more confidence in him being great than other players. So... That's what I'd like to do there, but if not, I would definitely see going after a Kayvon Thibodeau or a Jermaine Johnson as a pass rusher if you can't get Aiden Hutchinson. I want to stay far away from Trayvon Walker because I don't trust a guy who's a combine standout that didn't have big numbers in college and didn't have the production there. I don't want stuff to, well, if you see it here, it could eventually translate. It's like, no, I don't want to see a guy who's hopefully going to become better. I want to see a guy who's been great and then hope he can retain that in the NFL. Um, So I want to stay away from Trayvon Walker. I understand the need for... An offensive tackle, some people don't, but with George Fant not being under contract the following year um, after this one, Mekhi Becton's injury history, Joe Douglas's need to have a strong offensive line, and just the importance of a tackle in a system with a rookie quarterback, and your backups being McDermott and Adoga, yeah, I definitely see it possible for an Ikea Kwanu or an Evan Neal or Charles Cross or something to be drafted by the Jets. I like that position a little bit more in the second round. I'd like to get a guy like Bernard Raymond in the second round with pick 35 or 38, if possible, or potentially at pick 69 or somewhere between that if we make a trade for a guy like Petit Frere or Felele. I think there are definitely some guys the Jets could get at tackle that don't have to be drafted fourth overall, but we shall see. And if he makes the move, I'm not going to be stoked. I'm not going to be super excited for it, but I'll understand why he's doing it, and I could see the team being built correctly if he does that. Wide receiver is the other position that I want to get. Very, very badly in this draft. Um, definitely the excitement of Tyreek Hill and like, oh, shoot, we could add one. But losing Jamison Crowder, seeing the injuries to Elijah Moore last year, to Corey Davis last year, not having Keelan Cole, so many years of playing guys like Jeff Smith, and DJ Montgomery, and before that, guys like Greg Salas and Chaz Schillens, and you name it. It's just been a mess at wide receiver for years, and I want to see a nice passing attack like it was when we had Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall again, and we might be close with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. But let's put the icing on the cake. At pick four or pick ten, let's be looking at a wide receiver. Definitely is an option. And this is going to come as a surprise, but my number one wide receiver in this draft, it's very easy for me. It's Chris Olave of Ohio State. He's considered like the third, fourth, or fifth best wide receiver in this draft by most people. But my buddy's a big Ohio State fan, so I watch more Ohio State games than any other team. And Chris Olave, since the time he started playing up until now, was one of the best players on the field a true professional, got open all the time, a true difference maker in every game. Uh, This guy is the best route runner in the draft, has incredible hands, top-end speed. He plays extremely well on short routes, intermediate routes, and deep routes. He's the full package. When you look at him, his size isn't huge. He's not an incredible yards-after-catch guy. doesn't have a ton of flash and glam, but he is the guy that I am so confident will guaranteed be amazing for an offense. I don't care if he's too similar to an Elijah Moore style or not a big receiver, not this style. I just want a great receiver. I don't care if we have four Tyree kills, if it's four Tyree kills, right? You don't have to be looking for like, oh, we want to get somebody really, really big like Denzel Mims to go next. Like, we don't want one of our Tyree kills because we want Denzel Mims. You don't want that. You want as many good players as possible. I'm confident in Chris Olave. He's my number one. But right behind him, I got Garrett Wilson. He's a kind of balanced Calvin Ridley type receiver to me. Then you got a huge guy if you wanted to go for like a Mike Evans type mixed with Quincy Anunua in Drake London. And London's interesting because he played slot. And if you have CJ Uzoma and Tyler Conklin and an outside running game and Drake London blocking and then playing in the slot, doing end arounds or doing bubble screens and, and 
little 10-yard passes and whatnot, and then ripping through cornerbacks. I mean, you could really wear on a defense. You could really wear on a nickel cornerback or an outside linebacker or a safety with these guys over and over again. But it's just like that question of, do you trust a guy that doesn't have great separation? Like Denzel Mims was great in college at Baylor because he made those outstanding catches, and we saw him on highlights, and I was all about this guy. Like, holy shit, he's so good. Look at what he can do. But then you get to the NFL, and it doesn't get open enough. Doesn't have the work ethic the way it should be. Not as good a blocker as we'd hope he'd be. And those type of things kind of are like, well, maybe you go for a route runner. It all depends on how Drake London turns out. But if he ends up being a great player, he's got a skill set that will be very, very fun to watch and hard to defend. So Drake London's in that mix. And then if you want to uh, you know, make another risk, Jameson Williams is the fastest guy in this draft. I think he's the closest thing to like a, you know, an explosive big play waiting to happen type of guy that a lot of teams want to go for these days. He's just coming off an injury, so I don't have complete trust in his ability there. But uh, he would be another guy that I would definitely be interested in. So when it comes down to it, you know, edge rusher in Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson or Jermaine Johnson, a wide receiver in Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, or Jamison Williams, um, cornerback Sauce Gardner be my second choice after Hutchinson. And then maybe you'd be looking at a guy like a Kyle Hamilton because we do need a safety, even though his speed is a little bit scary. He's not super fast. He runs like a 4-6 in the 40. He's big. He's got some skill, but you're like, oh, do we really want to take a safety at this spot in the draft that high up? We do need it. It's a, a very interesting a very interesting situation. And then I wouldn't count out the ability for the Jets to draft a tackle because, you know, we talked about Makai Becton and George Fant, so Ikea Kwanu or uh, Evan Neal. And I wouldn't count out the ability for the Jets to draft an interior defensive lineman because Joe Douglas likes to build through the trenches, and on the other side of the ball, they definitely have a need there next to Quinn and Williams. So when you look at guys like Devontae Wyatt or Jordan Davis or another defensive tackle, Travis Jones from UConn, be looking out for some of these guys to uh, potentially make their way into the draft earlier than later. Other than that, like, the Jets are probably going to make trades. They probably won't end up drafting at all the positions that they're at right now with these nine picks that they have. So those are all kind of first-round guys. But then looking at some guys, you know, maybe round two, round three, four, and beyond, some guys that I really like, uh, Bernard Raymond, an offensive tackle that I think could be really, really good. Maybe wouldn't start right away, but would be when George Fant moves on or if Mekhi Beckham gets injured, a great piece there that you could get in the second round, perhaps. Brees Hall, a running back that I really would love to see the Jets get. This guy from Iowa State was getting touchdowns almost every single game, and he plays a very similar style to Michael Carter with a slightly bigger frame, bigger body. You know, he's not the flashiest running back in the world, but he gets outside the tackle, cuts up field, and has some breakaway speed with some big size. I love what I see from him. Brees Hall would be. Plus, then you'd have Michael Carter, the cornerback, and Michael Carter, the running back. And then you'd have Bryce Hall, the cornerback, and Brees Hall, the running back. So it would be a very cool kind of dynamic there with the names. Safeties to be looking at. Guys like Jalen Petre, Daxton Hill, Lewis Seen. These guys are definitely options for the Jets, maybe in second round. Some cornerbacks they could go after if they don't get a guy like Sauce Gardner but still want to add a Roger McCreary or a K or Elam. These are guys that I really like. Andrew Booth probably won't be available in round two. I like him a lot, but he could be available there. And if he does, you know, I mean, you look at this and you look at everybody's lists and whatnot. There's like, you know, 45 players that people are considering first-round players. And the Jets are drafting at 35 and 38 in the second round. And they're going to be able to get some of these guys. Somebody's going to slip. Somebody's going to make it through. And we're going to have a huge, huge opportunity to add some big-time players. If they don't get a wide receiver at pick four or pick ten, look at that position in the second round, a Christian Watson perhaps, maybe a Jahan Dotson who I like a lot. Maybe later in the draft, third round, fourth round, a guy like Alec Pierce could be really good. There's some players even later on after that, Bo Melton or Khalil Shakir that could be good for the Jets. There's just, there's so many names and players that I'd love to see the Jets get. Travis Jones from UConn, a defensive tackle. The Jets have that need. Players from UConn are good. Foley Fadakasi, Kendall Reyes, you've got a nice defensive tackle farm here at UConn. And that's the school that, you know, I'm from Connecticut, so I love anybody that comes from UConn. Obviously, Ryan Griffin got a little bit old, but everybody else is cool. Um, it's just, there's just so many guys. I'd like to get a tight end. I know that we just added... C.J. Uzoma and Tyler Conklin. But when you think about, like, these guys are probably going to be here for two or three years. And everybody says, you know, tight end takes a long time to develop. It takes them one, it takes, 
more than one year. It takes two, three, four years for tight ends to develop because their position is so difficult. They play special teams, part of the offensive line room, they're part of the tight ends room, they're part of the receivers room, and sometimes part of the running game room. Right? So there's so many different things that they have to be able to do. So it takes a little bit of a while. So why not get a guy in the fourth, fifth round, a guy like Jake Ferguson, a Jeremy Rucker, a Trey McBride if he's available, um, get them behind C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin, who are probably amazing mentors, great teachers, allow them to learn for two years, and then when you eventually move on from C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin, which you eventually will, you've got a guy here who's ready to step into the role. God forbid you start cultivating talent behind your starters. That's when the Jets are going to be really good, when they can withstand injuries with players below, when they're bringing new guys up to replace guys that are leaving. That's what it's going to look like, and that's a position the Jets can start doing that with today. So those are some guys that I really like. Uh, maybe a linebacker like Chad Muma, maybe a, an edge rusher that the Jets can get later on in the draft, like a Boye Mafe who could be good. Or, uh, I mean, it's just, there's so many names. I'm watching so much film on these guys. I think the most helpful and beneficial that all the scouting and stuff that I can do will be for myself on draft day when it's happening. But then for the draft recap, that'll be coming probably a week after the draft where I can actually break down who did the Jets get, why did I like them or not like them coming into the draft? Why am I pleased or displeased with the pick and the value and where they were taken and whatnot? I think that's going to be where all the time and energy that I've put into this thing is going to pay off the most. Right now, it's just a list of names, guys that I like, don't like for various reasons, but we can't go through them all. There's plenty of other people that are doing that if you're interested. Just learn the draft class, see who you like. Good players will be good players, regardless of the position. Good players are good. So, Let's try to find some of those guys, some guaranteed things, some sure things to make this team better as fast as possible. But it's all fun. It's all good stuff. This draft is going to be great. I can't wait for it. Three days of awesomeness, nine picks in the top five rounds, trades to come, superstar players to be added to this New York Jets offense, the defense. We're going to see how Joe Douglas is building this thing. Why did he you know, get all these guys? He traded Jamal Adams for draft picks, traded Sam Darnold for draft picks. What was the master plan? What was it all for? We're going to find out in one week. So I appreciate you all listening. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I will be back a week after the draft or so uh, to talk about the players that the Jets got, and we'll go from there. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 